Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. My topic today is taking advantage of 3D Secured the right way. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Matt Cook. He's General Manager of the ARCOT Payment Security Division with Broadcom, and Paul Delaney, Director of Data Science with Broadcom. Matt, Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. So, gentlemen, how do you find that EMV 3DS is different from other regulations, other standards that have been introduced to the market in an attempt to try to stop online fraud? Yeah, hey, this is Matt Cook, and I'll, I'll jump in first here. You know, I think the, the thing that appears to be most different is that it's actually law. When you look at what's going on in the European region as it relates to regulation, called PSD2, EMV 3DS is a core component of that. And to satisfy the regulations in Europe, you must implement the solution based upon 3D Secure. And so the, the one thing is that in, there's going to be financial penalties associated with it. So when you look at a lot of these payment regulations or things that have been done from the schemes, such as Visa and MasterCard, they're a little softer than the actual PSD2 mandate in Europe where it's law. Now, as you look at across the globe, there are mandates from both Visa and MasterCard as it relates to the adoption of 3D Secure. But that really has to do, again, with liability shifts. So there's real money on the line here where merchants are going to be anxious to shift the liability of fraud towards the credit card issuing banks. And, you know, 3DS is a way for these banks to protect themselves against that fraud and to put in place a system based upon risk scoring and the actual likelihood of risk of a transaction and challenge the user appropriately to authenticate identities. So I think as we think about you know, the emerging regulations and standards, this one feels like it really has teeth. And it feels like by the end of this year, we'll have laws in place in Europe that mandate the use of 3D Secure for certain types of payment transactions, and we'll have global mandates put out for some of the largest card schemes. So it feels like there's real teeth here. And this is Paul Delaney. And just to, to add a couple of things as well, I think in addition to that real teeth with the regulations and all, one of the things I really like about this is it's giving a lot more information to the issuer to make a better informed decision, and it's giving more control to the merchant of that user experience. Because fundamentally, you know, we're always balancing the, the risk of fraud versus having a clean user experience when someone is purchasing, getting that frictionless, getting that flow to happen. And I think that this takes that to the next step in terms of the information that's flowing back and forth, both for the issuer and for the merchant as well. So, gentlemen, which specific authentication vulnerabilities do you find that EMV 3D Secure addresses? It's not that there were specific vulnerabilities in the old version of 3DS, but it did have some problems. Uh, for instance, it had browser redirection that looked like the man-in-the-middle attack, right? Uh, it took control away from the merchant for that checkout experience and put it in the hands of the, the issuer. So I think a lot of what this is doing is giving that information to the issuers, giving control to the merchants, in order to ensure that we can stop the fraud while getting most transactions through in a seamless way. Uh, it's also nicely adding in information for uh, native apps so that we can handle that much more uh, straightforwardly because the old uh, 3DS did not handle native apps at all. Really, if you wanted to use it on a, on a phone, you had to have a browser built into your app, etc. So I think that that's 
what it's addressing most directly is a better experience, expanding it out to more types of transactions, and really giving the merchants that say. Okay, well, based on what you've talked to me about so far, what are the key benefits we should expect from EMV3DS? When you think about the original 3D Secure, it was designed when Blackberries were brand new and the Motorola Razor was still in the design phase, right? It didn't have any idea about smartphones or about tablets or about what the, you know, the, the whole ecosystem that we're in now. So one of the key benefits is, again, that native app capability. With that in there, there's also the chance to have more consistency. Because we're working with that interface, EMV3DS defines some of the, the expectations for that interface and the consistency for our cardholders to see, so both from the merchant side and from the issuing side. So those are very nice things. Huge benefits also are the data that are coming in with this, right? Whether it's good whitelisting information for trusted beneficiary when you're talking about Europe and the, the PSD2 mandates that Matt was talking about earlier, whether it's getting fairly standard fields like the merchant category code, which we've known for a long time is very useful in authorization. Now we have that here in the authentication world as well, to lots of great information now coming from the merchant risk indicator, which will tell us information about our gift cards involved, kind of what is the, the delivery, is it going to be an overnight delivery or, or something like that, to account information at the merchant. So the merchant can tell the issuer how long this account has been open at the merchant. When was the last time they changed their, their profile information or even information about how often someone transacts. So while the issuer knows what that card has done, now the merchant can tell them how that person has interacted with that merchant website as well over time, giving us really much better information for that decision about is this fraud or not, should we put more friction in here or should we let this go through cleanly and smoothly without impacting our legitimate cardholders? And just to add to that, the, uh, as you think about why a merchant or an issuer would implement 3D Secure, it really goes back up to the highest levels. One is to be compliant with the law. And that's one of the key benefits is by implementing a system that leverages 3D Secure as the protocol you become compliant with the law. So that's one big benefit. The other two that we track with our customers and are um, of the utmost importance is, in broadest sense, you're reducing the amount of fraud that actually gets through. And by by leveraging you know, data science and a bunch of other techniques in, in, in conjunction with 3D Secure, you can identify fraud before it happens and stop it in its tracks. The other side of it is if you implement it in a very thoughtful manner, then you're actually able to increase conversions for merchants. So we know that when, they, when someone abandons a payment because it doesn't go through, you could lose that transaction for good. That is not in the best interest of merchants or banks or the cardholder, to be honest. And so by implementing a system in a thoughtful way, then you actually do increase conversion rates. And you're actually not just preventing fraud, but you're actually allowing the things that should go through to go through. So those are the, those are the big ones that we track is compliance with regulation, decreasing fraud, and increasing conversion rates. And, and absolutely, just to, to follow on with the, the, the increased conversion rates, Matt, um, the, the capability of, of staying top in wallet for that card 
is a very important thing. And for the merchant, you want to make sure that you're the go-to merchant. And so those conversion rates not only help the current transaction, but they're building that trust for that cardholder, both with that card and with that merchant. And so it also brings in, uh, you know, later benefits further down the line as well. I'm glad you brought up implementation. What kind of a process can a bank expect to endure when implementing EMV 3D Secure? It's not that heavy of a process. In fact, I think it can be done relatively quickly. You know, when you think about implementation, there's the integrating with APIs to support the transactions themselves. That's one piece, but that's, you know, the plumbing's already there, the infrastructure's already there. That just becomes a uh, configuration issue. The part where we like to be a bit more careful with our customers and they want to be more careful is um, the user experience. So when you are presenting a set of challenge screens, so when you send an EMV 3DS transaction through and it looks questionable, then we challenge the user to authenticate their identity. And those challenge screens become the user experience. And you want to make sure that that user experience is in line with the credit card issuers, other experiences that they have for their customers online. And or if you're working with a merchant, you want it to plug seamlessly into the checkout user experience of the merchant so that uh, cardholders feel like they are not being redirected all over the place. So the, I would say that the part where we want to take the most care and time is designing that user experience and making sure the screens that we put in front of a cardholder are consistent with the broader experience they're having with those other institutions. So let's bring the conversation back to Broadcom. How is Broadcom helping customers prepare for getting the most out of EMV 3D Secure? We have been giving a lot of thought to this. As we think about how we enable our customers a fast on-ramp to get, to get the most value from EMV 3DS, the first is be compliant with the regulations by the time the regulations mandate that, that you are compliant. So uh, in the case of Europe, that's December 31st. We have the impending date of December 31st where all issuing banks need to be compliant and merchants as well. And so we actually have a set of proactive services engagements that we're offering to customers where we, we start today and help them migrate their earlier implementations, if it exists, from the 1.0 version to the EMV 3DS version, sometimes called 2.x. So we have an active service engagement where we help customers migrate their existing implementation over to the new world and try to do so in such a way that maintains it's continuous from the way that they were experiencing 3DS in, in 1.0. You know, bottom line is we're trying to be as proactive as we possibly can. What we're trying to avoid is customers getting themselves into a situation where there's an impending date and there's just not enough runway for them to become compliant with the law before it goes into effect. You know, there's no magic answer except let's be proactive and let's, uh, we're working with customers to start now so that nobody's surprised at the end of the process. Now, are there any best practices you can share about the methods that some of your customers are using to improve the customer experience? There are a few different things that you can really take advantage of, even from, from day one with EMV 3DS, right? So as Matt was mentioning, when you're onboarding into EMV 3DS, it's important to go ahead and take a look at your flow that you have for the, the current protocol as well as for the new protocol. In fact, the more that you can have those be consistent with each other, the better off you are. So given that we need to start looking at some of this stuff, 
it can be a time to to rethink if there are any flows you would like to change and get ahead of the game at that point. But there are also, with this data that's starting to flow, there are some fields like the merchant category code that we know are going to be there. And getting those incorporated into rules, beginning to look at those uh, is very important. For some of the other fields, as this data is starting to flow, we'll see about the account information, merchant risk indicators, other things that are coming from the merchants, but which are optional but highly recommended, if you will. And so I think that looking at those and getting a good handle on those will be very important for rule writers as well as for data scientists like myself. I'd say the the other best practice, especially for the EU region, is get trusted beneficiary whitelisting up and running. So PSD2 allows the cardholder to define certain merchants that they want to trust. Uh, and so they are essentially telling the issuer that as a cardholder, they trust this merchant. Now, if the issuer thinks that there's really fraud happening here, they can still intervene. But the most important thing is that it allows, if the issuer doesn't see any any indicators of fraud nor the merchant, for this to happen very seamlessly. And again, it's getting down to that customer experience. So the sooner that issuers begin looking into trusted beneficiary whitelisting, uh, the, the better off we'll all be. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, just to echo that, there's uh, the exception management um, aspects of PSD2 are going to be very, very important for those in the EU region because, as we know, the best way to prevent fraud would be to just do a 100% challenge where you're challenging every single transaction. And some countries throughout the world have implemented that policy or implemented that regulation. We believe that you can be much more surgical by making risk-based decisions that you you can challenge only when you really need to challenge. And so by managing exceptions, which have been laid out by the European Banking Authority, you handle it in a much more thoughtful way and reduce any risk that the increased friction by presenting a user with a challenge is actually going to prevent them from executing the transaction. So I would echo that, you know, think hard about exception management and how you're going to handle those policies so that you can be in compliant, but while minimizing the friction you put in front of your cardholders. Very well said. Matt, Paul, I want to thank you both for your time and your insight today. I appreciate it. Thank you you very much. And again, we've been talking with Matt Cook and Paul Delaney with Broadcom. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.